This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership, personal development, and education change-making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul, embody your calling, and bring your dreams to life. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I share wisdom from my 25 plus years as an education innovator, school founder and CEO, mindset teacher and leadership coach, but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education change maker at a time. All right, everyone, it was super exciting today. I had this great conversation with Chris Baum, who wrote a book called Finding the Magic in Middle School. And as, as always, I wanted to ask Chris what he thought were some of the key takeaways from today's conversation. First, thank you for a great conversation. That was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> to me, I think we, we got to talk about how parents can change so that we don't end up resisting or taking things personally that middle schoolers do. And we could even transform in ways that help us grow. Uh, that was fun. Uh, like the need to maybe be weird again and yes. find our own parent communities and reconnect that way. Um, we talked about some neuroscience, you know, why middle schoolers are changing so much, um, what they're driven to do. A lot of that's about their social brains really activating and how do we meet that developmental need they have to be social and figure out how to connect with others. And then we've talked a lot about schools and how, unfortunately, a lot of middle school schools are designed almost directly against the developmental needs of middle schoolers, but how we can change that if we're in schools or find places outside of school where they can meet those needs for belonging, uh, for connection, and for contribution. Yeah, it was a great summary. And I feel like for me, what I appreciated, Chris, is he wrote the book, but he also has worked with middle schoolers. He's opened schools. And so he's an educator and also a dad. And so he really has this intimate view. And I, of course, was laughing and joking that, you know, I got so much good information from my seventh grade and almost, you know, middle school curl too. So it was really, really helpful. So I think it's helpful for, for parents. But if you're an educator, it's also really helpful to listen. And like he said, getting into... I just wanted to clarify some of my things, which now doing like elementary and high school and then spending a little bit of time in middle school, like what are some of the key differences and just, he's just a wealth of information. And the book actually refers to and gives a lot of things we talked about in the podcast, you'll be able to find in the book. So I would definitely be sharing that with people. And I'm not just plugging his book. Like I really believe it. So anyway, it was a great conversation. Thanks again, Chris, for coming on. Huge pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Super excited today to be here with Chris Baum. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great. Good to be here. 
Awesome. We've had so many little connections of the, I was sharing the funny way that I found him was my friend had his book on her coffee table because her daughter starting middle school. And then we started talking and realized that we have like 48,000 more connections <laughs> beyond. <laughs> so apparently we were supposed to meet. That was just very uh, synchronistic. But anyway, I'd love to um, just hear from Chris and, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself just so the audience get to know you a little better. Yeah. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. Um, I mean, I feel like the place to start is my own middle school self. And I'm yes. here, I think, in many ways because I'm trying to understand and, and maybe heal some of that journey. Uh, you know, as a introverted and, and kind of lost and confused middle schooler wandering through school thinking, you know, why does this suck? <laughs> that was a question that stuck with me. And, yes. uh, you know, I Fast forward many years, went to college thinking, thank goodness I'll never set foot in a middle or high school again. And lo and behold, uh, decided to become an educator and spent the last 20 plus years working with middle and high schoolers. And now I just see the story completely differently. You know, I'm a parent of three kids. The oldest one is entering middle school and I, I have worked now and started middle schools. And I think that it's time to change the story of what middle school is all about. So that's why I'm here. That's what the book is about. Uh, excited to dive further in. Love that so much, Chris, because my middle school experience was atrocious, like really atrocious. Like I actually think I, it was just junior high. It was seventh and eighth grade. It was so bad for me that I literally didn't go to school in eighth grade. I think I went for like 10 days. It was so bad. <laughs> anyway, so we can get into that later. But yeah. I love that you have the awareness to be like, I'm trying to heal myself and help others because my my life coach that I worked with for 10 years is always like, oh, you're doing this for you. You know that, right? Like, just really yeah, exactly. about that. Yeah. yeah. It could <laughs> so be a I positive kind you. of selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like your self-healing also heals the world. So that's beautiful. Yeah. And, but yeah, so tell us, um, you know, a little bit about the book and I want to hear what you think the story of middle school should be too. Yeah. Well, I guess big picture, you know, we know from neuroscience that there are two periods in our lives when our brains are growing the fastest. So these are early childhood and early adolescence. Okay. So those, you know, not by coincidence, those are also probably the two hardest times to parent. They might yeah. be two of the hardest times to exist because yeah. change, it takes a long, a lot of work to internalize all that. Yeah. But if you think about, you know, the early childhood years, we've kind of come to see them as this precious golden opportunity. Like we really want to get these right and invest in it. And parents join groups of other parents. We've got books about development and stages. That's all so useful. Yeah. But fast forward to then the other big developmental leap, which is basically middle school to early high school. And we have almost none of that. And we as parents show up kind of you know, dazed and confused and get knocked off our feet. Yeah. We design middle schools that actually work against the developmental needs and drives of middle schoolers. So they don't yeah. like it. They resist it. Wait, then, can I ask you, I don't know if you know this, yeah. but why did we do this? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> because my son, I told you before we hit record, my son is a seventh grader in a comprehensive middle school with a thousand students and he's doing okay. My daughter's going to start next year. And but when I say it out loud to my friends, I'm like, you guys realize we have a thousand kids, two administrators and one counselor. Wow. And I just, I don't, I'm like, why do we do this again? Why did we create middle school? I'm just, I just never know. I, or junior highs. I don't know. It's such a good question. I mean, I, I think back to, you know, the creation of modern, you know, mass schooling in the late yeah. 1800s. And yeah. we just thought factories were the coolest thing. Efficiency. It was right. the state of the art when schools yeah. were designed. And so, you know, that, 
that mentality, I think, is especially problematic with adolescents because their job is to differentiate, to figure yeah. out who they uniquely are and then reconnect to the social world on the basis of their own unique selves. But factories are not the place to do that. Right, right. And if our schools are still basically operating on a factory model, then it's not going to be a good journey for most adolescents. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I think I interrupted your flow on. So you were telling us that, you know, middle schools were designed opposite of the kind of development and the brain, all that. Exactly. Yeah. So I think what middle schoolers really need, and we can go way deeper into this, you know, yeah. I'd summarize it in the book as kind of three core drives, you know, to figure out who they authentically are, how you connect with others now that you you have so much more social insight than you had as an elementary schooler. And then to feel valuable because you contribute something to others and you discover your value when other people see that you're valuable. So that's what they need. That's what makes them show up as motivated, sincere, excited people. If, if we're seeing them the opposite of that, where they're rolling their eyes, they don't want to do anything, then it means they can't do their work. That, that Those three core things, identity, connection, and contribution, somehow they feel like, I can't get that done in this space. So I'm just going to wait you out. <laughs> I think that's right. often what happens unspoken. So that's where middle school is broken. And of course, there are ways to, to reconnect it to those developmental drives. Yeah. Well, and tell us about the school that you started and you know how you brought some of that into, into the school. Yeah. So a little over 10 years ago, we started this crazy journey to you know, put our, our you know, effort where mouths were here and actually try to <laughs> build this kind it, of school. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Yeah. So it was a wild adventure, uh, but I'm happy to say we built a thriving school, a millennium school in San Francisco. And the idea was to start with as close to a blank slate as we could. And mm -hmm. a big part of that was realizing, you know, often when new schools get started, we want to do something innovative, but we're still basically using academic standards as our ultimate kind of set of success goals. Yes. And that's just, um, it's too narrow of a way to define a human. Uh, it's yes. not unimportant, but it's terrible if it's the only thing that you think really matters. Right. So we were trying to go a level deeper, working with some great universities and researchers around what are the developmental stages that middle schoolers go through. Each of those stages has some core drives, and each of those stages is essential to access our full potential. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the first stage is belonging, that until you feel a sense of belonging in middle school, like nothing good can happen because uh, it's too deeply threatening if you don't belong. And you've got all this amazing social radar now that has just turned on because of puberty. Yeah. So first, we designed a school that helps you belong. Mm -hmm. And we do that through a really robust advisory program where no matter what, you've got this group of eight to 10 peers who are on an adventure together seeing them every day, safe space to process whatever's happening in your world from, you know, I got mad at my brother to, you know, a crush to whatever is coming up. Yep. Um, then we realize they need connection. This is the best time in our lives to figure out how to be a social being. And arguably that's, you know, the most useful skill that can come out of this whole period too, is if you can be yourself around other humans, then you have had successful adolescence in many yes. ways. So we designed our classes on that basis. It's all projects and it's all done collaboratively. So no kind of lecture style, just sit quietly and receive, you know, right. that is for at least 75% of middle schoolers, a terrible way to learn. Oh yeah. So those are some of the kind of cores of the school. Okay. That's so amazing. And you know, it's, it's thinking about 
the high schools that I've run and the, the K-8 that I have now. Our K-8 has seventh, sixth and seventh graders, and we have like 20 kids per grade. So it's nice and small. And I think a lot of, actually, I should share this with the staff because I think a lot of people are scratching their heads because it's like, well, we're used to the K-5 and now we have this kind of, it's not really a middle school, but we have middle schoolers and there's 20, you know, 40 of them. And there are, we have two stories that are upstairs and it's kind of like, not sure what to do with that, you know? And so, and that's why I was asking you, you know, when they decided to create this kind of middle school experience, because as I talk to people, it's like, oh, where I grew up, you know, we did a sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Oh, where I grew up, we did seventh, eighth and ninth. Oh, where I grew up, we did junior high. And oh, I went to a K-8 Catholic school. And it's like, there's actually not consistency. When you talk to your adult friends, you're kind of like, except for what's consistent is like you said, the narrative, which is like, yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's a really hard time, know. you know, and, or like my friend, you know, I have friends that just went really down a bad path in middle school, yeah. right. Cause they went to the big school. And to your point, they didn't have the belonging. They didn't have the connection. They didn't feel like they could be themselves. And so they had to kind of, I was just telling my wife the other day, like my best friend growing up, it was the end of seventh grade where I was like, I'm not even coming back to this place. Cause it's, you know, it, it felt like a prison. I was like, Oh, I got to, kind of like fight every day. And, and this isn't like a suburban area. It's not even, you know, and, but my, my good friend, she was having a, a lot of kind of emotional problems. And she went with the group that started like smoking weed and cigarettes in the tunnels down the street. And like, all of a sudden, like we had been best friends for like six years. And then I was like, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. Like I'm not going into dark yeah. tunnels, like, yeah. but it was yeah. it, like, she was looking for belonging and connection. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's really interesting that that's, what so many people are looking for and what they've experienced as a, and they can tell you as adults, right? Yeah. And that need for belonging is existential. Like it's, it's more important than anything else. You'd be willing to, you know, sacrifice your success in school, even sacrifice who you are, if that's what it takes to get belonging. So just to show the stakes, I mean, that your story is a perfect example. You know, schools need to put that first and it, belonging is not accidental. You don't just... Yeah you know, hope that it happens. You can, you can tilt things so that it's more likely to happen. You can put resources in place so that kids who are struggling with that can get extra tools. It's, it is fundamentally a set of skills and a set of conditions, and then it will happen. Yeah. And I really love what you said about advisory because, you know, when I was running my high schools, we had, we would stay together with the same kids for four years. And I had like 15 kids and my job was to just love them and know them and advocate for them. We always talked about, it's like, we're handing them a middle-class parent. I think nowadays they'd call them Karens, right? <laughs> like the person who's going to like run into the principal's office and be like, you did not do this, my child. <laughs> but I mean, we were that for them. Like we always advocated for them. And, but more than anything, we built that community and connection over four years. And the last high school classic classic graduated when I was doing that was 2010. And I still text with them. Yeah. Once a week, once a month, you know, we still see each other every few years. And it's kind of crazy to think about that because in my high high school experience, being in a big high school, I don't think I really even talked to the people that I went to school with, let alone the teachers. And here I am, you know, 13, 14 years later, still having conversations with these kids that I had for four years. And you think the average person now as old, if you ask them about middle school would struggle to remember the names of their teachers, yeah. you know, let alone what was taught. Yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. you remember the social dynamics. And yeah, I think that deep advisory is so essential. And that same, you know, at millennium school, we also loop for three full years and you you see each other every day. And you can tell at graduation day at the end of eighth grade, 
80% of what's talked about is adventures with your advisory and how close you were to your advisor and the the meaning you made as you went on different, you know, adventures and misadventures and field trips and expeditions all with your advisory. That that is what adolescents need, you know, a group that they can go on an adventure with and make sense of who they are during that adventure. Yeah. And then tell us a little bit about because I was joking with you, it's like, I don't really know anything about middle school because I spent so much time with high schoolers and it's actually quite different. But tell us a little bit about the, you know, you talked about the brain development and what's going on for middle schoolers. Obviously there's puberty and they're literally in the middle. I've also heard the joke, like in education, like you either love them or you hate them, right? That's something that you hear, right? Like you either can work with them or you can't stand them. Like, so I don't know how you feel about that little yeah. <laughs> narrative that gets out there. Yeah. But yeah, just tell us a little about the brain development and kind of what makes them unique at this age. I think the the single biggest factor in, in brain development to help us understand middle schoolers is the fact that they become social beings. Mm. And even before we had modern brain research, you know, Maria Montessori hundred plus years ago said this age, middle school is like a rebirth into the social world. Mm. I think she said it's when the social individual is born. Yeah. And now that's proven out, you know, thoroughly by modern research methods but yep. essentially, you know, all of the the hardware to understand what's happening socially, the same way that you and I do as adults, you know, turns on. So you notice groupings, you notice social hierarchy, who's excluded and included. You pick up facial expressions. Actually, there's fascinating research that, you know, late elementary schoolers don't read faces accurately. Or, you, you know, an adult can kind of say one thing, but show a different emotion on their face. Yeah. But kids will take them literally for the, what they say. Whereas middle schoolers will take what your face is saying. <laughs> that's more important than the words you say. And that's that's brain development, that they can just pick up these subtleties so it's like the same amount of input that we get socially is coming in, but they just don't have experience yet to process it. Yeah. So, you know, if someone's walking down the hall and gives them a weird look, they don't know if that means, you know, their social life is over or that person has a stomach ache and right. they're likely to err on the side of maybe more catastrophic conclusion. Right. Uh, you know, we've just been through that cycle a thousand times. So we know how to kind of assess all that incoming data. Right. Everything about middle school is kind of making sense of your realization that you're in a social world. And now you've got to rebuild your identity, figure out how to be with these complicated peers and find a way to feel valuable among them. Yeah. And then you see a lot of the like social maneuvering going on in terms of like hierarchy. And I'm sure you worked against this at your school, but it's kind of the norm at the bigger or the, the, the kind of traditional school, which is kind of like Who's the popular kid or who's the kid who had it? I mean, I hate to be this dramatic, but I, I'll just actually say it through a friend's kid because that way I can, instead of me using all my opinions all the time. So my friend's <laughs> kid, one of our staff members, she had her kid at a, a small private school. It was like 20 kids, K through seven. They actually only go up to six, but he did an extra year with them because she was like, I don't want to send him to another school. And so then he went to eighth grade for one year and we had dinner when he was a month in. And this is actually noted as the best middle school in Sacramento. It's where all the legislators' kids go. Like, this is the school, right? It's the affluent school. And he was like, I asked him at dinner the first month, how's middle school? You know, it's the first time. He goes, you mean how's prison? Oof. <laughs> so, oh, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, like, so I'm walking through the halls and if I don't puff my chest in the right way, then like someone will try and beat me up after school. Or if I don't, you know, he said one time a kid, because I was walking alone, like a kid came up to me, a few boys and was like, it kind of reminded me of like the gang stuff we dealt with in East San Jose. Like, what do you claim basically? Like, 
who's your group and who are you? And he's like, I just got here. And they're like, oh, great, we're going to beat you up when you go to the bathroom, you know? So he literally told me in his words, like, it felt like prison. And so the social dynamics get so intense because you feel like you have to find your way in this status. And I can imagine that's like really disorienting for a middle school age child. Oh, and traumatizing. And traumatizing, yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with school size. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a cure-all, but the, the bigger the school, the more that kids walking around the halls perceive other people as strangers, right? Uh, not one community. And when you see yourself around strangers all the time, you're more likely to be defensive. Right. And defensive behavior in middle school could look like cliques, mm-hmm. uh, could look like bullying. You know, those are kind of strike first before I become vulnerable. Yeah. So smaller schools or creating pods within schools that yes. feel where you actually know every other person that you see around you. Yes. Um, it's not enough to make a great school, but it really tilts the playing field in favor of a, a safer social environment. Well, yeah. And it's so interesting. I was telling you that I've had all these interesting guests and the theme, you know, it keeps getting repeated, which is like, I mean, I have talked to a lot of micro schools people. So of course they're going to be saying this, but, but it, I've heard it from everybody I've interviewed. Basically it's, it's like, you know, we have to think about, the size and the unit, because when you're dealing with, and I, I joked yesterday in one of the interviews I did, I said, my father-in-law told me that teaching was just crowd control. And I was so offended when he said that when I was like 25 or whatever, it's kind of right when you got a thousand yeah. kids and yeah. you're going through the day with that many people, it does feel like crowd control. And so if you can minimize that kind of crowd control and the size and to your point to really create the belonging and the connection, because then you're starting to say like, I know the kid's name. And if I'm walking down the hall, then these kids kind of have a connection. And a lot of my guests have also been sharing that it feels like the extracurriculars in the traditional system is where the magic is. And by the way, when you talk about the title of your book, Finding the Magic in Middle School, I want to hear about how the title came to be. But but yeah, it's like the magic lies in, you know, for me, it was basketball. Like those 12 kids, it was like, that's what saved me from dropping out from high school. It's like, well, I had to go because I had, I, had to, I couldn't play. But I didn't go to school, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's like theater. It's... Boy Scouts, whatever it may be that gives you that connection and that belonging, or it's like a school within a school or a program within a program. And I feel like that's true probably in middle school too. Am I right? Absolutely. And I have the same story personally, you know, for me, it was orchestra, which was the Uh, one class in my schedule that I could choose. It was the one place where I felt belonging. And luckily it was the first thing in the day. So it was a reason to show up and then try to deal with everything that came after. And I I think you're right about extracurriculars, partly because at least in many cases, they're chosen. And middle schoolers, I think, often feel like they're babysat all day, you know, they're just being babied, uh, controlled by adults and they can get a little, uh, you know, overdramatic about it. Yeah. But I think what they're saying underneath it is like, you need to recognize that I'm not in elementary school anymore. I'm more capable. I should yes. get more responsibility. And if you don't give me that, I think that you don't trust me and you don't understand me. Yeah. Um, which is something, you know, easy to get worked up around, especially as a middle schooler. So it can happen during the school day. It's just less rare. It's more rare. Um, but extracurriculars are often where they feel like I got to choose this. And right. with that choice comes their motivation, you know, their willingness yeah. to show up. Well, as you were talking, I remembered, you know, with my son. So he has six different classes that are, I think 48 or 52 minutes or some <laughs> bizarre number. And I was explaining to my wife, I'm like, if you think about it, he doesn't really interact with his peers or his teachers because you're just going through the shuffling of the factory, right? The model. And there's four minutes to get to one class to the next. 
But you, what you're saying is the most important or one of the most important you know, and important element of adolescent middle school development is building their social connections and their social skills and all of that. Yet we're, his, his socializing happens for, I think by the time he gets his lunch and gets out there, I think it's like 18 minutes. So he has 18 minutes of socializing and then after school. Fortunately, they get out at 2.46. So he has a lot of time after school to interact and hang out with his friends and, you know, kind of navigate that social thing. But it's really interesting because it, I think you said this earlier, but it's like the schools are set up in direct, you know, opposition to what the kids actually need developmentally. Yeah. And, and side note, I think one of the best signals that a school is using a factory model is weird times. Yes. You know, when, when class ends at one thirty-seven, like that's the kind of time you would feed into a machine. It is not how humans function. And it, it really takes away part of our humanity. So yeah. you can keep track of this. Like I, yeah. I never know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I have and, the schedule up on the wall and I literally look at it seven times a day. I'm like, wait. And then there's early release. I think it's at 131 on early release. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's like what am I picking up this kid? I don't remember. Yeah. And you've got middle schoolers who are in many ways, like the most social beings on yeah. earth. And you give them 18 minutes during lunch to yeah. be social. Like no wonder middle school cafeterias are the craziest places right. around as they're trying to get 24 hours of social needs met in 18 minutes. 18 minutes. And, and then they're getting in trouble. Yeah. especially boys, I understand, are getting in trouble during class because it's stand and deliver instruction and they're supposed to sit still and be quiet. And this is the time when they want to socialize the most. My son, he told me that like two different teachers have him and his four friends on the four corners of the classroom. Oh my God. I should laugh because I used to be the teacher had to deal with those obnoxious boys. It is hard. It is hard for any teachers listening. It's funny, but it's hard. But it, it made, I was like, okay, I know what's going on here because he's trying to like, you know, probably like poke his friend and he's just a class clown and he's silly and he wants to just like get it all out and he's super social and, you know, and they're telling him to sit there and take notes on, you know, six to what happened in 1600. And so he's just kind of like, yeah, anyway. So yeah, I'm with you. Not the teacher's fault. That is a yeah. system problem. That yeah. That's not the right way to reach the large majority of kids at any age, but especially middle schoolers who are growing into their adult bodies. They need to move and they are most of all growing into the adult social world yeah. and their best learning that their, their biggest developmental window for reaching more of their potential is social. Yeah. How can they figure out how to be themselves around peers? Yeah. And if we're not giving them literally hours per day to work on that, then we're holding them back in some way. Yeah. And I was about to ask you like how you do it, but I want to tell, ask you if you know this school that I visited when I was on like a funder tour in Berkeley and it's an all boys school. You got to know it. Is it East Bay School for Boys? Yeah. Yes. You would know yeah. 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 I so love that. Like, That's a great was, school. Yeah. It was, it really had an impression on me because I didn't have middle school ch children, but you know, like I told you before we recorded, I did help open two middle schools and it was like, oh, that's how you do it. Like they have standing desks. They're constantly building, creating, making, you know, and I remember they had this little facility and there were like 40 boys on skateboards and like this little <laughs> tiny area. And I'm like, <laughs> Cool. And they were doing yeah. that, you know, for 10 minutes every hour or whatever it might have been. And it just felt like, oh, this is what middle school could really be. Exactly. And if I remember correctly, they have project-based learning, oh, they absolutely. do advisory, they're yeah. intentionally small so that the community is safe, everyone knows everyone yeah. else. Those yeah. are the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It really stuck with me just, you know, from the kind of middle school boy years ago when I was doing um like academic coaching and tutoring, my mentor shared with me, like, yeah, we really have a crisis with middle school boys and 
you know, they, they turn off at this time. So we would help them after school in these kind of big, uh, you know, Bay Area school districts. I would help them just like think through how do you get this project done? And, you know, what's your planner and just kind of keep them organized. And that would be really helpful for them because they were just all over the place. Yeah, I think part of the challenge for middle school boys is that they are compared to middle school girls. And right. I came across a piece of research that said at age 13, we have the biggest maturity gap between the sexes of any point in our lives, equivalent to two years of age difference. And oh. this is just because puberty starts earlier for girls. And in fact, it's been moving earlier historically, yeah. which is fascinating. Um, if you're a teacher and you've got a classroom with both, you're going to think, oh my God, those boys, why can't they get it together like the girls? And it's really not a fair comparison. It's the girls have had two extra years, perhaps by the age of yeah. 13 of development. And that I think is a really unfortunate scenario for, for everyone involved, but obviously, especially the boys. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how you came up with the name, Finding the Magic. In middle yeah. School, right? it's, it's about wanting to change the story. I mean, okay. you you may have had this experience. I think any teacher of middle schoolers, when you introduce yourself socially among other adults and you say what you do, <laughs> 90% of the time, the response is something between... You're a glutton uh, for punishment. Pitying, yes, exactly. <laughs> Terror, you know, shock, horror. It's just... Can I buy you a drink? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my God, these poor kids, like this is the story they receive too. Yeah. It's like they're told, oh, this is going to suck. Like, I hope you're not too traumatized by this next phase yeah. of your life. But this Get is ready the phase for the of trash your life. Can. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just... <laughs> It's crazy to me that we perpetuate this story. So the, the idea behind the title is we can change the story, that there is so much magic here. Uh, the first draft of the title was finding the lost magic of middle school. <laughs> I decided yeah. to get, make it a little shorter, but it's, it's the same spirit yeah. that yeah. there's so much here if we know how to give them the right conditions. Yeah. You know, when they feel belonging, when they feel like they can spend a lot of time with peers to connect and work together, when they contribute something that feels actually valuable in the real world, not yeah. worksheets, um, then they just stand taller and they show up as I think who they really are, which is people in transformation. It's amazing to witness. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about parents a little bit. Cause as I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, I want to share this with all my, you know, my daughters in fifth grade, my sons in seventh. So I'm right in that age. And I'm like, I just need to share this with all my friends so they can listen to this. Cause we're like, thank you. <laughs> so, but let's talk about parents because here's the reality. I also get phone calls all the time, which is why I'm starting this program with a friend of mine to help people open schools or do a micro school or do a figure out home school. I get parent, you know, phone calls all the time. Like I can't send my kid to that school. What should I do? And so I'm creating a program to help now actually say, well, I don't know. Sorry. Like here's some resources. <laughs> now I can be like, great. Like, Go to the website, set up a time, and let's talk. But I wanted to ask you, you know, if you're a parent of like my friends that are listening in a thousand student comprehensive middle school in a suburban kind of middle class neighborhood, what are their options if the school day is going to look like it is? Like, what else can we do as parents? Which I think you said you addressed this in the book as middle school parents that are at more traditional schools. Since you and I can talk about how we fix schools all day, but 90% of the kids are still in those schools where they're not you know, they're more factory model. Yeah. So I'd say two things. Uh, one is about how we evolve our own parenting mm -hmm. and taking this as an opportunity to really reinvent ourselves, not just as parents even, but if we're willing as human beings. Yeah. And I can say more about that. And the second is about finding those other spaces in a student's life where they get to have greater degrees of control 
They're not just kind of shepherded through adult structured experiences. Right. More social time. And that includes for introverts too, who might want a more structured form of social time, but still need that. And where they get to do something that feels like I am uniquely making a contribution um, that is recognized by someone who is not related to me and not just paid to assess me. Right. <laughs> so to be more specific, you know, something like an apprenticeship or volunteering or a paid job as soon as you're legally able to. Middle schoolers, when they get to see through someone else's eyes that they've done something valuable, mm. it builds them in, in a way that nothing else really can match. So if you can scratch some of those itches in the after school or weekend or summer hours, and knowing that's a privilege to even be able to, but if it's possible, um, then you can balance out some of the you know lackluster school right. experiences. Okay, that's really helpful. And I had seen something on LinkedIn about a study. I don't know if it was middle schoolers or adolescents in general, but it was talking about how if they could have some sort of apprenticeship or some sort of connection to the real world, that it's like super valuable. And it was so synchronistic because... I showed the article to my wife. We both work, both work from home. So I was like, Hey, you got to see this. I'm always interrupting her. She's like, stop talking to me. I was like, you got to see this. And so she's like, Oh, this is so interesting. And then my son came home that day, picked him up and he goes, you know, I was thinking I would really like to do like the basketball camp I've done for years. I'd like to be a camp, like a counselor there so that I could actually coach the other kids. And I want to get paid. He doesn't pay people. So what's something I could do that would really like provide meaning in the world. And I could actually, you know, do something more interesting than like, the school that I hate to be at all day. Like, is there something else I could do? And Love so that. I was really inspired by that. And it's, it's great to hear you say that, you know, if we can help our middle schoolers find those different opportunities to do those kind of things. And another question I have is the social development. I know with high schoolers, there's actually like when I would coach high school parents, I would always say they're supposed to be alone a lot. You're going to see a lot of like, go to your room, close the door. And a lot of like 17 hours straight with their friends. It, it's, there's really not as much in between. It's like, that's what they do. Is that kind of similar for middle schoolers too? I, I think it's similar, again, based a little bit on, on gender because boys will reach this point a little bit later. But right, they're both at their own stage going to go through individuation, mm -hmm. which is that process where, you know, essentially you've already downloaded so much from your family and values, mindsets, all of that. Now you're trying to figure out who you are in a bigger world. And likely that's going to involve wanting to separate yourself a little bit. For yeah. some kids, that's done gracefully and for yeah. others less gracefully. <laughs> but one way or another, you're going to declare a boundary and that's yeah. healthy. And if parents know that's coming, then maybe we won't take it personally or not as much. It still might be a little yes. challenging. Yes. Um, and to your, to your point before, I just want to say, I think apprenticeships in middle school are one of the most fantastic things you could possibly offer. And I'm biased here. Before I opened a middle school, I spent years running an apprenticeship program. Oh yeah. Tell us about that. No, I want to hear all about that. I, I looked, I saw that on your website and I was really intrigued. Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. So, I mean, briefly I worked with thousands of middle schoolers all over the country, simply with the idea of asking them if you could try any job, what would you like to try? Yeah. And then as much as we could, we matched them with a mentor in that job after school. And they went to that workplace Everything from, you know, police officers to software developers, accountants. Uh, so they go after school. Everything. They go after school okay. uh, one or two days a week. There are different kind of permutations of it. Yeah. But it, it worked amazingly well at restoring their sense that school is actually going somewhere. Yes. And giving them some something exciting to work toward. 
you know, they're, they're ready to start walking into the bigger worlds. And yeah. it really doesn't do them a service if we kind of cocoon them in school all the right. time. Okay. So tell us about this advisory or this program. I don't know if it's an advisory program or how you would label it, but it's an online program. Like can, can people enroll in it if they're not in your area, like in uh, virtually? Yeah. So when, uh, when the pandemic started, I, I realized that, you know, one of the best things that we did at Millennium School was the advisory program, as mm-hmm. I mentioned before. Yeah. And it's so rare to have a good advisory group. You know, I think the average middle school in the U.S. has an advisory program. But often what people mean by that is kind of sit and do your homework, a homeroom. You know, it's not bad, but it's not really a deep and a rich space. Yeah, my so, son's is 10 minutes in the morning. And then the, my daughter was looking at another middle school and they do 30 minutes in the afternoon. But both of them, but uh, the one other one was like, they don't stay together, stay together for one year and they do 30 minutes in the afternoon. My son nicely does have three years with the same group, but it's 10 minutes in the morning and he always doesn't want to go to school in the morning. So yeah. he misses like half of it or more. Yeah. Anyway, so it's so advisory has kind of caught on, but the implementation seems to be not stellar. Yeah. Or what the real motivation is. I think some schools use morning advisory as like a crumple zone. So if you're kind of getting in late, then at least it'll only affect advisory, which is sad because it it could be some of the best time of the day where where that belonging is really established. Um, Long story short, this program is called Argonaut. It's online. We have students from, I think, four continents, um, lots of countries, every corner of the U.S., all middle school, uh, 10 students per group, all meeting by Zoom. And it's beautiful, you know, they have space. In this case, I think it's nice to sometimes be away from your school friends and environment, and you get to try out different identities. Um, We talk about everything from, you know, personality to how we handle our own emotions to what's happening in our relationships. And yeah, I just wish everybody had it. I mean, it's what I wish I had had as a middle schooler. So back to that kind of healing that's uh, at the root of this. Absolutely. Okay, so they meet, what do they meet weekly on Zoom? Twice a week, for an hour. Yeah. For an hour. Okay. And there are groups of 10. Well, that's really cool. Okay. Well, I will definitely put your website in the show notes and I'm assuming they can find that information there. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Okay. Okay. What other advice for parents? I was going to ask you something about parents, but I can't remember right now. So I'll just ask you generally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Other advice for parents that are struggling or that are, you know, like you said, not taking it personally, knowing kind of, I, I joked with my wife, I said, do you want me to pull out my grad school reader? Because I remember because she was saying, she's like, I'm nervous because like, she literally said, I think we've lost him. And I was like, no, 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 we haven't lost him. Like he's just, we put the video game console in the laundry room so that he wouldn't be in his bedroom. I'm like, (laughs) at least the door is not closed. And then we kind of know who he's playing with and we hear everything. And, but now that he's, you know, he got his phone last year. So now he's in the room with the door closed, which that just started happening in the last three months. And she's like, we've lost him. And I was like, well, I think a lot of times he's just in there kind of recharging, doing his thing and just taking time to himself and individuating, as you said. And then he'll, like I said, then he'll come out and do the like seven hour, you know, seven boys on the video game, like marathon on a Saturday. And sometimes we cut it off after two hours. Either way, like he's in pure joy and heaven, right? He's just like so happy when he's socializing like that, or he'll go away for, you know, over the Christmas break. I think we lost him. The holidays, we lost him for like, we lost him quote unquote for like four days because he did four sleepovers in a row. And we're like, yeah, live here anymore. And we're yeah. like, we have 18 days off. We're not going to say no. And he's having a great time. Yeah. And, and he just started staying up till 3am, you know, before he was a morning person. Now he's during the school weekend and school break, he goes to sleep at three or four sometimes. 
and we'll get up at like 11 and I'm like, we officially have a teenager. And he's just yeah. 13. <laughs> and happened. so I think parents yeah. are like really, and I remember working with parents and when I would meet with them in high school and I'd say, this is normal. They'd be like, are you serious? Like staying up till 3am or like hiding, you know, sitting like teenagers sitting in the dark or like turning off all the lights just for seven hours. That's normal. I'm like, yeah. They're like, really? My kid's not like different or something's wrong with him. I'm like, no. So I think it's always good for parents to understand kind of the context and what's going on. I totally agree. I, I wish I could just say exactly what you said. Don't worry. It's normal, you know, to a thousand different cases and yeah. sleep as one example that, you know, yeah. there's fascinating research that our, our circadian rhythms shift dramatically during teenage years. And I think a lot of parents get confused or, or upset because they think this is a choice. You know, my teen is kind of giving me the middle finger by staying up super late and sleeping in, but it, it's not a choice. Usually that's actually a brain change and it, it continues until age 20 on average. And then it starts reversing for the whole rest of our lives, which right. is where we all are as the parents. Yeah. So just to realize, you know, their turn toward peers is not necessarily saying, I don't care about you anymore. It's saying neurologically, this is what is most stimulating to me because it's where I have the most learning, uh, just as with sleep. So. I'd say, you know, to your original question about advice for parents, um, yeah. two things. One is be weird because I think, you know, we're all weird. That's just, I think, the nature of humans. We're all quirky. Absolutely. But sometimes, you know, with if especially if it's our first kid reaching adolescence, we're used to kind of going into parent mode where often we're kind of tucking away a lot of the adult sides of ourselves. Absolutely. And, that starts to not serve anymore when they get to adolescence because they, they need the modeling of all of us. Meaning like, say we had a terrible day at work or we're having, you know, uh, a disagreement with someone we care about and it's really troubling us. You know, we might not share that with our eight-year-old perhaps, but you've got a 13-year-old in the house, like be real about it, you yeah. know, show more of your emotions, show also the tools that you're using because we do have a lot of ways that we take care of ourselves and take care of our relationships. So. Yeah just opening more. Um, and the second piece is to not do it alone. You know, what you're saying, back to how middle school is so similar to early childhood. You know, mm -hmm. if you were the only parent around who had a toddler and you didn't know anyone else who had a toddler, it would be crazy making. You know, why on earth are they, what is happening to me and to them? But we survive it often because we, we knew something of what was coming and we had other parents to commiserate with and laugh and cry with. Sometimes we are, we've lost some of those relationships or the, the full openness of them when we get to middle school parenting. So yes. make sure you have parents that you can laugh and cry with about, you know, exactly yes. what you just said. Is it okay that he's playing video games for seven yes. hours on Saturday or now he's staying up till two in the morning? And most likely they will have similar experiences and you'll feel you won't have the terror of feeling alone. You can actually yeah. laugh about like, wow, what a chapter we're in. Right, exactly. And this too shall pass. <laughs> yeah, <yes. laughs> and I love the title of the book. And that's why it actually caught my attention when it was on my friend's coffee table, because I immediately got it. I was like, oh, this person is actually saying this could be a magical time. And so I feel like as parents, as educators, if we can, if we can shift the lens and say like, wow, like this is super fun. Like, these kids are so much fun. Like they're crazy. And they're, my son will go to the Starbucks afterwards and after school, which is like down the street and I'll go pick them up. There's sometimes and I'm like, I wonder what the employees are thinking. Cause these kids are so quirky and they're, they sit outside, thankfully for the employees, right? <laughs> but like, they're, they're just so quirky and funny and they're just playful. And like I said, my son playing video games or hanging out with his friends playing football, like they're just, they're just so they're having so much fun. And I've done a lot of work. I don't talk about it as much in this podcast, but 
on kind of healing your inner child. And it's like, if you could just actually be playful with your child and be playful with your middle schooler and just be like, this time's going to pass. And instead of saying like, oh, this too shall pass. And it's stressful. Like I joked a second ago, maybe saying like, let me honor this two to three year period before they get, you know, start driving or whatever. Like I have this really great period with them and I don't need to make it so negative and just really enjoy it and have fun and be playful. Right. That's exactly it. I wrote a piece recently called a second adolescence because I think Ah. sometimes parenting an adolescent can almost creates a second go at our own adolescence where things come up that might trouble us, but also new opportunities to grow. And if we, if we know it's coming, we don't need to resist it. We can actually say like, I need this too. Like maybe I've gotten pretty used to my ways as a parent, as a parent, as a dad, as a, however you are. And this is a chance to start reinventing myself, try something new, you know, put yourself also in that beginner position that they are, and you'll find it much easier to connect with them. And you get to keep being that way, even after they then, you know, start driving and their life evolves in their own direction. So I think that is really the gift. This is awesome. This has been a great conversation. Are there any final thoughts? So um, chrisbaum.com, is that right? That's right. B-A-L-M-E. Yep. Okay. So that's where you find him. And anything maybe we missed or anything you wanted to share that we didn't get to talk about in our last kind of wrap up here? I I don't think so. I think uh, my my wish with this book is that it helps parents and teachers get underneath this this common story that this has just got to suck. And when you know some of the magical things to look for, then we meet them, you know, with excitement. Uh, and then it starts a positive cycle. Middle schoolers start to feel like we get them, we trust them, they show up better. And it, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it a lot more fun, uh, a lot more transformative, you know, for everyone. Yeah. Well, I will definitely be sharing this conversation with the teachers at our school, with my friends' parents, with my son's parents friends of his parents. There you yeah. go. Parents of his friends. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I'll be sharing it. <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you so much. My it was pleasure. great having you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement. And without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students? reliably meet tier one standards you can do it all but don't waste another minute head straight to ixl.com b to learn how ixl's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals that's ixl.com b e